Hey guys, thank you so much for jumping on and watching. This is part two to week four of our series, Six Weeks of Purpose. I've loved this series so far, taking our whole church on a journey, uh, trying to discover how I can know what my individual God-given purpose is. And today we're talking about one thing. Um, we're looking at what relationships we need in our lives to help take us where we need to go in our life because relationships can bring you down or they can take you up. And what we're doing is, is in this sermon for this week, part one and two, uh, we are looking at a book and kind of basing the message off of a book I read about 10 or 12 years ago by an author named Leonard Sweet. And the book is titled this, 11 Indispensable Relationships You Can't Be Without. And so we're looking at this and I'm not doing all 11, I'm just doing 10, but I love the biblical perspective on all 10 of these relationships and how they invest in us as individuals, but also teach us to invest in others. If we have all 10 of these relationships in our lives, I truly believe our lives would change. I know my life changed because of it. So today I wanna jump in and just a reminder that with all of 10 of these relationships, we need to identify someone, at least someone, to fulfill each of these slots. And at the same time, we need to also pay attention to the fact that I need to be this someone for someone else in my life. So let's just continue. Um, we're gonna continue today and we're gonna jump in in part two to Paul. We need a mentor. Paul, a mentor. Um, it's obvious, but every single person needs a mentor in their lives. I do and you do. Mentors are a lot easier found um, th than we think, but it's also not as easy in other aspects. But I wanna look at this real quick. We look in scripture and Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, to me is one of the most perfect examples of what it means to be a mentor. He was a mentor to a lot of people, but mainly uh, what we'll highlight is Timothy. He was a mentor to Timothy. When you look in pop culture and movies, I'm a movie guy, um, and even heroes in movies need mentors. Luke Skywalker needed Yoda. Spider-Man, at least in the new movies, needed Iron Man. Simba needed Mufasa. And we all, at different times in our lives, need a mentor. A mentor is a wiser, usually older, God-energized guide who can help us find our way through this life with God. A life with God is awesome, but there's a lot of ups and downs and turns, and we need a guide to help us through life. Sir Isaac Newton famously said this, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. So here's a few questions for you to ponder in regards to who your mentor could be. Who's your Paul? Whose shoulders are you standing on? Who do you look up to? Who sets the standards in your life for you to aspire to reach? Whose blessing do you seek? These are really important questions because we are asking these questions of someone, consciously or subconsciously, but if it's the right someone, then our lives can change forever and we can pursue our purpose. Whose blessing do you seek? And the truth is there's always a wiser person around us. We just need to learn to pay attention. There's always someone wiser for us to learn from. They might be well-educated or they may be uneducated. They need to though be further down the road than you for sure in different aspects of your life to be a mentor. I love this, mentors tell us which battles in our lives are worth fighting. That's one of the biggest things that mentors can help their apprentices and protégés with is teaching them which battles to fight 
and which battles to leave alone. So in order to find a Paul, a true mentor in your life, a Paul, a true mentor must have three qualities. Three qualities. And these three qualities are obviously assuming godliness. So they've gotta be godly. That fruit has to be in their lives. I would say they, they need to faithfully attend church. They need to be committed to the body of Christ. There needs to be evident fruit of the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives. But assuming that, three qualities to look for in a mentor are these. Number one, humility. Uh, this is someone that's not walking around with pride in their lives, telling everybody how to live their life. This is someone um, who does not presume a whole lot. This is someone who walks with humility in their life. Uh, they understand how fragile life can be, how anyone and everyone is really on the cusp of making mistakes and failing. They walk with an evident humility in their life. The second quality for a great Paul or mentor is honesty. They, their yes needs to be yes and their no needs to be no. They need to be someone who is obviously trustworthy with other people in the church and other people that know them, other people in your life. Does this person have the reputation of being honest? Have they historically been honest with you? And they have to be honest because a true mentor can't mentor anyone unless they can be honest with you. The third quality of a great mentor or Paul in our lives is honor. So it's humility, honesty, and honor. Is this someone who is worthy of honor? Are they honoring? Does honor come out of their life? Do they honor people ahead of them and their mentors? Is the life they live worthy of your honor? And it's important because who we honor and who we praise, we become. We become like the things we praise. That's why praise and worship is so important with church and for the body of believers because we become like what we praise. When we praise God, we become more like Christ. When we praise or honor our leaders and those in authority and mentors and the Pauls in our lives, we become like them. So they have to be worthy of honor. I also wanna say this before I move on to the next one. We need to learn to see the greatness around us. A lot of times the people around us, we become so numb um, to them that we don't really look for greatness around us. We're constantly looking for the grass that's greener over there and over there. And we don't think that God has placed these types of people in our lives. But I guarantee you, there is a Paul. There is greatness around you in your life right now. We just have to pay attention and see it. Someone once said this, one of the worst things that can be said about someone is that greatness passed by and they did not recognize it. Don't be that person. Don't let greatness pass by you every Sunday at church or in your neighborhood or in your family. Don't let that happen and you not recognize it. Today, stop, ponder, and ask the question, has God given me a Paul in my life? Can I be someone's Timothy? Who's in your life right now that could fulfill that role? And again, it's important to find a Paul but it's also important to be a Paul. The next one I wanna talk about today, another person from the Bible, his name is Jethro. Jethro we're calling a coach. Uh, Jethro in your life, if I'm just being blunt and honest, is a butt kicker. This is the person in your life that is the coach on your team that encourages you, but also is not afraid to just tell you how it is. Who's Jethro in the Bible? Jethro in the Bible is an Old Testament uh, character. He was the father-in-law of Moses. And there was a day after Moses had um, heard God's voice from the burning bush, he was still tending sheep and he had not quite obeyed God yet 
to go back to Egypt. So many people think as soon as the voice out of the burning bush spoke to Moses, that he just went straight to Egypt and said, let my people go, but he didn't. He actually went back to where he was. And it was his father-in-law, Jethro, who was a Midianite high priest, was not even at that time a believer in Yahweh, came to Moses, who he had understood the story, and he tells Moses to basically get your act together and go do what God has called you to do. In Exodus 4.18, he uses this Hebrew phrase, lek el shalom, and this Hebrew phrase means go to peace. And it's extremely important, it's extremely important that phrase go to peace because there's another Hebrew phrase that is, is, is spoken like this, lek be shalom. So this one in this passage is lek el shalom and another one is lek be shalom and that phrase means go in peace. That was actually the phrase that David said to his son Absalom as his son was betraying him and he was leaving and that phrase is a blessing of death, lek be shalom. But in this, in this story with Jethro, he didn't say lek be shalom, he said lek el shalom, go to peace. Go in peace is a blessing of death, but go to peace is a blessing of battle, discovery, and purpose. I love that. So what Jethro was saying to Moses is stand up, get your act together, dust, off, dust the dust off your shoulders and off your legs, and get going back to Egypt. You have a purpose to attain. You have a job to do. Go to battle. A Jethro in your life blesses you forward. They don't bless you into complacency. They never say, well, you're just great how you are. A Jethro, when you see them coming, you squirm a little bit because you know you're gonna be challenged. You know they love you, but you also know you're gonna be challenged and they're gonna push you to be better and they're gonna push you to go. You can't be at peace until you go to peace. A Jethro forces you to look at something rather than letting you look away from it. What are the things in your life you're not looking at because it's too much work, it's too much risk, it's too much faith, so you're looking away from it? You need a Jethro to keep you focused on the faith dream of God, the purpose that God has in your life. The next person, the next relationship I wanna talk about is Lydia, you need a patron. Lydia, a patron. I'm gonna talk about who Lydia is in a second, but I kinda of wanna define the word patron. Most of us would know what that believes, but here's a good, uh, most of us would know what it means, but here's a good definition. A person who gives financial or other support to a person, organization, cause, or activity. A patron is the financial backing, the financial provider for a person, a cause, an organization. And that's exactly what Lydia was for the gospel and for Paul and some other apostles in scripture. In Acts 16, 11 through 15 and 40, I'm not gonna read it, but this is when Paul actually meets Lydia for the first time and, and she actually comes to Christ. She is a dealer in cloths that are the color purple and there's a whole long story with that which means that she had financial means because the color purple was something that was rare and only sold to wealthy people. So she was a woman with means. And after she becomes a follower of Christ that day, when Paul ministers to her, she immediately opens up her home and her resources to Paul and the other apostles. And for the next few years and possibly the rest of her life and Paul's life, she was the patron of the gospel expanding into the Gentile world. 
I also think it's really interesting. This is a theme all through the New Testament. I want you to think about how interesting this is. Jesus is God. He is the son of God. He is the ultimate sacrifice, the creator of the universe, the only one to ever live a perfect life. He's a healer, miracle worker, all of these things, yet he still needed human patrons to be the financial backing of his ministry. You may not even know this is in the Bible, but Luke 8, one through three says this. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, talking about Jesus, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 who were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Jesus literally, and the disciples literally, had a handful of women who were the financial patrons, the backing of the three years of, of ministry that Jesus had on this earth. I think it's fascinating. But Lydia is this, is this character I wanna focus on, this very real woman in scripture. She was a patron. Patrons practice hospitality and philanthropy. They're hospitable, but they also have no problem knowing that they exist to financially propel the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need a patron in your life. It's not just organizations and churches. You need a patron. Not someone where you're saying, I need a rich person to give me anything I want. No, but you need someone in your life who sees you as an opportunity to pour into so the kingdom of God can be advanced through your purpose in ministry. Not for selfish gain, but to expand the kingdom of God. I think this is interesting and I want you to think about it. You can ask any pastor of any church, any president of any nonprofit organization, nonprofit 501c3, and they will tell you something for sure. They'll tell you this, your success hinges on one thing, this, this question. Is there someone out there who believes in you enough and believes in the mission of your organization enough to be a patron? Every church exists because there are a handful of people who say, I wanna be a patron of this organization and this ministry. Every single great thing that has ever happened in the world in regards to the kingdom of God has been financially backed by patrons. There are people in your life right now who may not be able to go on the missions trips physically. They might be at an age where they can't physically go to church or physically go on a missions trip or they can't physically fulfill the purpose that even God would have on your life, but what they can do is provide the means for you to fulfill it. And that doesn't come from you interviewing people that have means and say, I choose you to be my patron. But how that relationship is sparked is by patrons seeing you, seeing someone that's on fire for God and ministry and seeing something that's so inspiring that they want to be a part of it. So you need a patron. And what's uniquely interesting about this is you also, no matter what your financial status is now, are also called to be a patron because we aren't just vessels in, for God to pour into, right? We're not just reservoirs, we're vessels for God to pour into so we can pour out as well. So God's constantly asking, who's your patron and who are you being a patron of? You need a Lydia. The next one I wanna talk about, I love this one. His name is Barnabas and he's an encourager. You need a Barnabas, an encourager. Everyone needs encouragement. Barnabas is, is found in the New Testament 
And he is an encourager of several of the disciples. And encourager is actually a nickname that some of the disciples gave Barnabas. And it comes from Acts 4, 36 through 37. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I love that. So his name was actually not Barnabas. Barnabas is his nickname and his name was Joseph. But because he is the embodiment of encouragement, they named him son of encouragement. When did he encourage? Let's, let's look at an example. I love this. Acts 9, 26 through 27. Back in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now this is talking about Paul. Right after he had changed from Saul to Paul, right after Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, his reputation as Saul was arresting believers and, and killing believers and beating early uh, first century Christians. And he has this amazing uh, conversion experience, but he wasn't trusted yet because he could have been faking it, right? So Paul, going back to scripture, is back in Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't trust him one bit. I love this. Then Barnabas took him under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles and stood up for him. I love that. There cannot be a better example of what a Barnabas is in your life. You need someone when everyone else says, I'm not sure about this person. I heard they made this mistake. I saw their greatest failure. I saw them do this. You need a Barnabas to stand up for you, to take you under his wing or her wing and say, I've got your back. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna believe the best about you and I'm gonna speak life over you. Here's a few things to think about. You can write them down or ponder them. A Barnabas is the person who says, at a boy or at a girl. A Barnabas is your person who says, I believe in you. Did you know those words, those four words, I believe in you? It is so rare for people to hear those words anymore. You might be someone, you're listening to this or watching it thinking, I don't even remember the last time someone said, I believe in you. That's why you need a Barnabas. A Barnabas isn't analyzing your character 24-7. They just look at you and think you hung the moon. It could be a grandparent, a friend, a random person in the church. There's a guy named David in our church. He's my Barnabas. I've actually called him my Barnabas in my life. I mean, he thinks I hung the moon and I, I just gravitate toward him, right? Because we love words of affirmation. You need a Barnabas. A Barnabas in encourages, also, but they do not flatter. There's a difference in flattery which I believe is manipulative, right? But this person isn't into flattery, they're into genuine encouragement in your life. A Barnabas gives you permission to fail and constantly reminds you of your greatness. I can, it all boils down to one thing. What a Barnabas is in your life is someone who lifts you up. We live in a world that pushes us down every single day, wherever we go, pushes us down and pushes us down. You need a Barnabas in your life to lift you up. But at the same time, like on all of these, you need to be a Barnabas. The best way to get a Barnabas is to be one. The best way to get a Lydia is to be one. The best way to get a Paul is to be one. And we look at being a Barnabas, it's, it's one of the easiest things we can be to someone else. Just seeing someone else as God sees them and give them constant encouragement. You be the voice in their life that lifts them up and you watch how fast God will bring a Barnabas in your life. As we're going through these, I want us to step back every so often, even as we're going through these, and remember, if all 10 of these are at play, if all 10 of these are at play in our lives, imagine how fulfilled we would be, right? Because we're being poured into 
and we're also pouring out into other people. The next one, and the last one we'll talk about in this message is Deborah. You need a back cover. Deborah is different than Barnabas because Barnabas is a to-your-face encourager. Deborah has your back. They're watching your rear guard. They are protecting you from arrows coming from the back. And this is a story I preached on, on Deborah earlier this year, and I love this story. This is a story from Judges chapter 4, and Deborah was a, a female judge, and, and obviously that was extremely rare. She was the first one back then. Um, she was a prophet and judge and an extremely um, well-respected, highly respected woman. She, a judge back then in the New Testament was the ruler. There was no one higher. She was the highest in command in Israel, and she was that well-respected. And the story is this, is Israel's going to battle, and Israel has a, a general named Barak. And Barak is the guy, and he's the military general, and they're getting ready to go to battle, and he actually says, I'm not going to battle. I'm not going to battle without Deborah. I will not do it. And so Deborah ends up saying yes and goes to battle, and she st stays on a hillside, and she's praying over Barak, and her presence there made the difference. She's, she has his back through prayer. She's covering his back. And it's the same thing with us today. We need a Deborah in our lives because four truths I wanna hit real quick before we end. Truth number one is this, you will get stabbed in the back. And I know that's heavy and dark right before we end this message, but it's the truth. If you haven't already in your life 50 times, I can promise you if there's one thing you know um, for the rest of your life, you will be stabbed in the back. That's why we need a Deborah someone that's watching your back, a very low maintenance person who doesn't need FaceTime, but just knows my assignment is to cover their back. Number two is important because it's the characteristic of most Debras. Debras mostly cover your back through prayer. Um, the, my Deborah in my life was historically um, my grandmother. And she passed away a few years ago and, and she was my back cover. And I remember as she passed away over the next few weeks, my first thought in my mind is, is who's the person who every morning will wake up and, and have my back and, and pray prayers of blessing and protection over my life. And I've, I've been grateful to see new people come into that role, but you need a Deborah. You, you need that grandmother, grandfather, parent figure in your life, whether it's a biological family member or not someone in the church, but someone as you have gotten to know people, as you're investing into others and being a Deborah for someone else, it's paying attention to understanding and maybe even one day hearing that someone in their life, someone says that person's a prayer warrior, you develop a relationship with them and maybe just ask, would you be my Deborah? Would you be someone that just commits to praying for me every day? I don't have a family member that does that for me or whatever your story is, there are believers all through our church and if you don't go to this church, wherever church whatever church you go to, there are believers wherever you go that will decide and be a part of your life and cover you in prayer. The third truth we need to know is you can be a Deborah for people you don't know. You can be a Deborah right now for someone you don't know. You can be a Deborah for a pastor that you listen to sermons every once in a while um, from around the country. You can be a Deborah for someone else's grandchild. You can be a, a Deborah for someone that you've seen in different environments, someone you've seen in the church on a Sunday and you don't even know who they are, but God puts you on there, put them on your heart you can be a Deborah for them. You don't even have to announce that you're praying for them every day. You can just pray for them and cover their back in prayer because the truth is prayer doesn't just matter a little bit. It is the thing that matters. 
Prayer moves mountains. Prayer changes things. Um, and it's unbelievably important. And the fourth tr truth is this. You can be a Deborah for future generations. I love this because you can be a back coverer for children that aren't even born yet. You can be a back cover for a child that's in the womb, a back cover for future great-grandchildren and, and laying the groundwork for prayer for their lives and what God's gonna do even before they're in their mother's womb, God sees them and has a plan and a destiny for their lives. And if that plan and destiny is alive and for their life, that means prayer is effective for people that don't even exist yet. I think it's powerful. This is how I wanna end part two and both of these messages come together. I think this is a perfect way to end um, this message today. Week four on relationships and the importance of them. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, an enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. A rope that is woven of three strings is hard to break. I've heard that passage in different translations my whole life, but as I was reading it this time, I stepped back and I thought, but can you imagine, looking at 10 relationships in this message, can you imagine what a strand of 10 ropes, 10 strands would be like? how strong that would be in your life. So many of us are so empty and drained because I think so many of us are putting the pressure of all 10 of these relationships onto a best friend, onto a spouse, onto a child or a pastor. And I wanna remind you that one person cannot carry that burden. But if we become strategic and intentional and fulfill these 10 vital roles in our lives, and if we become some of these vital roles in other people's lives, you can experience fulfillment and purpose at levels you have never experienced before. This week four in relationships and their role in your life, I, we can't overstate or overvalue um, the importance of this message. Take this seriously. Examine these 10 relationships, fill in those blanks, and watch what God does in your life. If you only have a few of them filled, that's okay. It's better to wait a little while and fill them with the right people than to hurry and fill them with the wrong ones. I wanna pray over you today and, and over part one and two. And as you move out over the next few weeks and start to really think about this, make this wording a part of your everyday lingo in church and in your small groups. Uh, ask people, do you have a Deborah? Do you have a Paul? Do you have a Timothy? Do you have a Rhoda? Do you have a Zacchaeus? All these different things, all these different people. I think it would be fun for that to be a part of our everyday vocabulary in the church um, and then watch the flourishing uh, begin in our lives. Let's pray over you, our church, and week four that it's solidified in our hearts. Father, we thank you so much for today. And God, as we round out this message on the vital role of these relationships in our lives and being a part of the story of purpose in our lives, God, this journey we're on, I pray that you would bless us that you would help us become intentional with every relationship we have. The truth is you created us to be relational beings, but, but also to be strategic in our relationships. It, very intentional knowing that they will either, either take us toward the purpose you have in our lives or away from it. And God, I pray no matter how old we are or young we are listening to this message, I pray that we would let it soak in from the word of God, these truths from these characters in scripture apply it to our lives and let it change our lives. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.